Hello, Utah listeners. This is your host, Shannon, and I wanted to give you a heads up. We do talk about suicidal thoughts in detail on this episode. Though this story has a happy ending, if that's triggering to you, you might want to skip this one. And if you or someone you love is struggling with this, please call 1-800-273-8255. Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. Heather Hutchison is the Amazon best-selling author of Holding On by Letting Go, a memoir, and an award-winning singer-songwriter with four albums released to date, including her latest release, If I Could, which came out in January this month. Blind since birth and having struggled with mental illness from a young age, she is passionate about educating and connecting with people on disability and mental health through her music and writing. She's here this week to share her story. Heather, have you always loved music? I have. I think especially singing. As far back as I can remember, I would carry, I had this little Fisher-Price tape recorder and I would carry it around. It had like one of the mics on the side. I know, I think a lot of kids had those like in the 90s and I would carry it everywhere with me and sing and make up songs and and. When I turned six, I got a karaoke machine with Spice Girls karaoke, and and that was kind of of set it for me. Oh, yeah. That definitely will do it. So how did you get started in your career in music? It was actually really surreal. So as things started getting more difficult for me in my early teen years, and I started kind of drawing away from my peers and feeling more alone, I got into songwriting and one of my teachers encouraged me to share a song that I had written. It was the first like serious song I'd ever written and completed in a regional talent competition. And in the finals of that competition, I didn't really want to do it because I was super shy and awkward, but she convinced me. And in the finals, after the competition was over, I was approached by one of the judges on the panel backstage and he said, I'm a producer. I really felt moved by your song and would love to work together. And I didn't really think anything would come of it because I just figured it's you know one of those things that people say. And then three weeks later, we were in the professional recording studio starting work on my first album and I was 15. So it was, it was pretty crazy to go from you know the high school band room in three weeks into this professional setting. Wow. When and why did your struggles with mental health start? I think it was really a perfect storm of circumstances. They started very young. My father was diagnosed with cancer when I was three. And then when he got out of remission, he left for the first time when he was six. And around that time, I also really started to notice that people had started to treat me differently because of my blindness. I think 
when you're a really little kid, you don't, you're kind of growing up in, in your bubble and you don't notice that the outside world views you as any different. And then once you start going to school, you notice that kids and teachers alike can be kind of uncomfortable around you, uncomfortable around differences. So I decided that I would do everything I could. I would read all my picture books and everything in elementary school and really study the body language of the characters, trying to figure out how I could copy their body language so that nobody would realize that I was blind and it never worked. So it just created a lot of anxiety and a lot of obsession with with perfection that I obviously couldn't achieve. How have you managed to cope with that over the years? Over the years, I've managed better and worse at different times. Music has been a huge thing for me as far back as when my first album came out and even before then, just being able to sit down at the piano and have all these really complicated emotions to deal with that I I couldn't put into words. And I would sit at the piano and the melody would come and then the words would come and things just would start to make a lot more sense. So music honestly has been my huge savior over the years whether that's studying, performing, recording. So you play the piano. Do you play any other instruments? Yes. I play guitar as well. I'm mainly a singer, though. The piano was kind of like, like I always loved singing, and I took piano lessons when I was really young, and I hated it. I was like a terrible student. But then when I started writing songs more seriously, I realized, oh, I need a way to accompany myself, so I'm going to go back and actually learn the piano and take it more seriously. Is your disability or your mental health more of a barrier when it comes to your music? And is there any connection between those things? You know, I've always felt like in that one thing in music, my disability or my struggles with mental health have not been a barrier, which you know, is not true of most things in the world. But even in the way that other musicians treat me, it was really shocking to me that very first day I stepped into the studio when I was 15 and I was surrounded by all these professional musicians who'd been playing for years and they didn't treat me any differently. They just treated me like a girl who loved music and they treated me as an equal. So I found that really in the music community that they've been like that. And in terms of like learning music itself, I wouldn't say it's been any more challenging, really. Um, I'm probably better than average at uh, learning by ear, not very good at sight reading. (laughs) But yeah, and in terms of like the mental health aspect and even the disability aspect to some point, I think it's given me material to, to draw from when I am writing songs as well. So I would say, no, it hasn't really been, in some ways, it's actually been something positive. Your blindness, can you see at all? I can see a little bit. So it it kind of exists on a spectrum. I think most people or a lot of people think that it's either all or nothing. So I can see what they classify as light perception. So basically, if there's a light on in, in a room, Or I might be able to see like the outline of a person standing close to me, but I would never be able to look at their face and tell who they were, for example. Or stark contrast, like um, light on dark, like 
floor tiles, checkered floor tiles. And I actually see best in low light, like at dusk, which is really weird because most people think, well, you'd see better in bright light. But in bright light, I pretty much can't see anything at all. That's interesting. Yeah. I know that you mentioned that during this pandemic that we've been experiencing for several years now, that you had to go to a psychiatric hospital. Yes. What sparked that? So it actually goes back a bit before the pandemic started. Since my teens, I've had major depressive episodes. So I'll be fine for even like a year. And then for a couple of weeks, a couple months, even longer, I won't be. And I get to the point where I pretty much can't function. I can't get out of bed. Um, my hair falls out. I stop eating. Things just go really sideways. And in November of 2018, I entered into one depressive episode that didn't end like the others had. And over the months, I got sicker and sicker. My hair fell out. I was so skinny. And I just really wasn't doing well. So they set up an emergency meeting with my doctor and they were actually able to keep me out of the hospital that time. They adjusted my meds. They made sure I was receiving more outpatient mental health supports and things were improving slowly but surely. But then in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden there was really not a lot of support and all the support that I could get was by phone. So it wasn't even video conferencing. So they couldn't even see how I was physically declining. And I've always been somebody who (laughs) needs a lot of control in my life and who needs to have plans. So I've struggled with suicidal ideation since I was a teen. And a lot of how I've coped with that over the years is to make life goals. So I can't kill myself until after I go to Mexico one last time, or I can't kill myself until my friend comes to visit. And then as soon as those things were over, I would have to make new goals to keep going a little bit longer and on and on it would go. But then when the COVID pandemic hit, all of that was put on hold because nobody knew when we would be able to do anything. And It was kind of like, well, what's the point of life without attainable goals that these things that I've been relying on for for half my life to, to keep going? And so I started making plans. I got all my affairs in order. I had everything ready to go. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm gonna go to the hospital because I'm not I'm not really looking to get better. I'm seeking absolution so that when I am gone, my family and my friends will be able to say, well, she tried. And I figured that I would go there, they would talk to me, and I would be out by the end of that day, and then I could continue on with my plans. But obviously, it it didn't go that way. I ended up being hospitalized as an involuntary patient, which meant that I wasn't free to leave. So for the first couple days there... um, I was in psychiatric emergency, which is basically severe suicidal watch. And um, I was just really going through the motions, biding my time until they would let me out and I could continue on. But one night I was lying awake in my bed. They transferred me to a different psych ward by that point for longer term treatment. And the air ambulance arrived, bringing a critical patient to this bigger hospital. And as soon as they arrived, 
they call the code blue. And I started thinking about that poor patient's family and their loved ones and thinking, my God, they must be going through one of the most terrifying experiences, one of the worst nights of their lives. And I started thinking about my own family and thinking, how can I feel so much compassion for their loved ones? Well, I know the decision I want to make is going to devastate my own. And then I started thinking about the patient themselves and thinking, what a crazy juxtaposition, because this person's in here fighting to live and I'm in here fighting to die. And they might not get a choice, but I have a choice. And it was in that moment I knew that I had to make a decision. I could continue on with my plans, wait till I could get out and go finish what I had started and no longer be here, or I could choose to live. I could choose to be an active participant in my treatment plan, and I could choose to get better so that I could hopefully leave the hospital and actually write my book and share my story with other people who may be struggling. Because when I thought about it, the most painful part of what I went through was the thought of somebody else having to go through it. Wow. I don't know if you're a believer, Heather, but that's what I would call a God moment. Yeah, it was, there was something from someone. I, I don't, people have asked me, well, was it a coincidence? And no, I don't think so. I think I had to be in the right space to be able to hear that. Like, you know, maybe if it had happened on the first night, I wouldn't have been ready to receive that message and move forward. Or if somebody had just told me, I think it had to be at that time when I was in a moment where I was receptive to that message. Definitely. Is there something that triggers these depressive episodes? Sometimes there is. Sometimes I wish I knew why. I've gotten a lot better at not necessarily knowing why they happen, but recognizing those first signs and taking steps to correct my course, I guess, before I start down that dark, long spiral. Because when you're far down that spiral, it is next to impossible to pull yourself out by yourself. And where did you go to learn those signs? A lot of it was in the hospital. They did very intensive therapy with us. We would meet once a day with a psychiatrist. And then the psychiatric nurses were actually basically the counselors of the ward. So they would have like these 15-minute impromptu therapy sessions with you throughout the day, basically reminding you of making healthier habits. So, you know, when you're, when you're hearing it constantly, it really starts to take root in your head and you are able to start to make those changes. And then at leaving the hospital, I had a lot of um, outpatient support, more therapy. I still go to group therapy. So it's something that I'm constantly working still to to improve, to get even better at recognizing the signs. It sounds like you being able to recognize the signs is actually saving your life, literally. Yes, very much so. What do you think that people assume about you that just isn't true? There's a lot. I think people assume that because I'm blind, I have some sort of cognitive impairment or hearing impairment because 
I can't tell you the number of people I meet who talk to me like I'm a small child or who talk really loud or really slow. (laughs) I'm like, it's not necessary. I can't understand you. Or they'll talk to the person I'm with. So if I'm at a restaurant with a friend or my partner, they'll look at them and say, what would she like to eat? So they won't speak to me directly. And no, like we're we're so much more similar than we are different. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what people are thinking sometimes when they say things. I I would hope that they just aren't thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I remember a, a lady on a bus. It was a full bus. And she stood up. She was getting off the bus. She looked over at me and she said, wow, I thought my life was really awful. But then I saw her and if I had her life, I'd, I'd kill myself. Oh, my and, gosh. You know. I was somebody who struggles with it's like you shouldn't say that to anybody, but especially somebody who who is really struggling with their mental health. I I guess it's some sort of weird backhanded compliment about wow, look how inspirational you are, but no, there's never a good time to say that. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, not not the best. What would you say to someone who's experiencing similar mental health struggles? I would say give yourself some grace. I think we often want to see these huge radical changes in ourselves. I think that we see that a lot on social media, you know, that the influencers, oh, I was having a terrible time, but I was able to do a complete 180 and look at me now. And that's not really helpful when you're actually going through it, when you're in the thick of it, because you see these people and you think, well, I can't do that. So we need to break it down into smaller steps because if we don't, we're going to fail. And then that just is kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy and this vicious circle we get into, well, I'm trying these techniques to help myself. They're not working. Therefore, it's hopeless. So like mindfulness, for example, I was really bad at it for a long time, like the mindfulness exercises. And I think a lot of people are, and they just give up. They're like, oh, this doesn't work for me. But you'd be surprised. It's like practicing music or doing a sport, something that you have to work at every single day. And then I would also say, you know, I'm not going to sit here and give people empty platitudes about, oh, tomorrow's a better day. Cheer up. It's all fine. But What I can tell you is that there will come a day when you'll stop in a moment and you'll feel so much joy in that moment and you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this. So hold on for that moment because it is worth it. Yeah, I have anxiety and I have tried mindfulness and uh, I'm kind of feeling like, I don't know if this helps. It's hard. It does. But it doesn't. Yeah, it, it's tricky. And there's so many different exercises. I think different things work for different people. I like the ones that are more like tangible, I guess. Like how, I don't know if you've done the one where you're sitting by yourself next to a stream on a sunny day and you put your hand in the water and let your hand kind of drag through the water. And there's leaves going through the water at the same time. And the leaves are your thoughts and you either grab onto them or you let them slide through your hand. I don't know that the actual like imaginative feeling of that was really helpful to me for some reason. I think I have to like 
I have a hard time making my mind go there. Yeah, that's the tricky part because it doesn't feel natural. Tell us about your new music and your book. So my new music's coming out this month and it's an EP called If I Could. Picking up speed but couldn't see the crash come Caught up in selfish altruism And my friends, my producer and my partner joked that I should have called it Holding On By Letting Go, the musical because Holding On By Letting Go is the title of my book and they say that the album is is a bit like a soundtrack to the book and I think that's fair. It explores a lot of similar themes. Because no one has the answers and there's more than just one way But it's not a finish line It's a choice you make each day And I, I was just really grateful that I had the chance to write the book and then tell a similar story through songs because, you know, a three-minute song is a lot less of a commitment than sitting down to read a book. So I think you can reach even more people with your message, you know, by expanding your mediums that way. So I was really happy that those two things came together. Absolutely. Where can we find it? You can go to my website at www.heather-hutchison.com. That's H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N.com. There's links there to the book. You can buy it on Amazon, Audible, Apple Books, pretty much anywhere you buy books. It's available in print, ebook, and audiobook. And there's also links on my site there to my music on Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much anywhere you listen to music. Amazing. Well, Heather, I appreciate you sitting down and having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good luck to you. Thank you. With your music, with your book, and everything else that you're doing to help people who are also dealing with mental health struggles. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. Enjoy what you heard today? Help us get the word out. Give You Talk a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You might find your review reposted on our social media. Thanks for listening. The mic drops next. Often, even I wonder, why would someone think it would be better to not be here anymore? And Heather gave us a first-hand glimpse into the thoughts of someone who struggles with depression and mental health. What brought her out of a deep depression that she couldn't seem to shake was actually thinking about someone else's family and the agony they might be facing at possibly losing a loved one. Being able to empathize with that person and his or her family made her think of her own life and what her family might face if she carried out the plan she had to take her own life. 
There were several other things that Heather mentioned that seemed to help her out of a depressive episode. Music, therapy, setting goals, meditation, and recognizing the signs when she's about to start spiraling into depression. Music is a form of therapy for Heather because she can express those feelings in the music and songwriting. She has also lots of actual therapy in and out of the psychiatric hospital, individually, and with a group. To keep herself present and on this earth, Heather sets goals that she must accomplish, and that keeps her looking forward to something. She also mentioned practicing meditation, especially with the tangible exercises. Last, but probably one of the most important ways of coping with her mental health struggles, Heather can now recognize when she's starting to have a depressive episode. This is helpful because she can recognize the signs and get the support she needs before she gets too deep into it to deal with it on her own. Whew. This is a super tough subject to talk about, but Heather's openness with sharing her story could actually give others hope. Her story shows us that at your lowest moment, you can make it out of the darkness and still thrive. Everyone has a purpose, and Heather is currently fulfilling hers. I said it at the beginning, and I'll say it again. If you're having suicidal thoughts, please get help. Empathize with Heather's struggles and understand the ramifications of that decision. I have provided a few resources in the show notes along with links to get your hands on a copy of Heather's book and music. Thank you so much for listening. In a couple of weeks, I'll be back with the lovely Walker Brandt, who you may recognize from her modeling and acting career. She's had roles in movies and TV shows like City Slickers, Dante's Peak, Star Trek The Next Generation, and Beverly Hills 90210. Yes. Hope you'll join me next time. Grace and blessings. Blessings.